Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast brought to you by ITO Coaching Performance, Blue Pineapple Travel, and SlayRx. We have for you today episode 116, and it should be no surprise to anyone, we're going to spend the entire time talking about the four-year suspension of Alberto Salazar. For context, recall I mentioned last week during the introduction, Alberto Salazar is the head of the Nike Oregon Project, the founder of the Nike Oregon Project, and himself a former U.S. Olympian. Uh, He, alongside a doctor named Jeffrey Brown, both received four-year suspensions for trafficking testosterone, uh, administering prohibitive IV effusions, and engaging in tampering to attempt to prevent relevant information about their conduct from being learned by USADA. This has really far-reaching implications, only some of which we're really beginning to appreciate, and undoubtedly you'll see by the time we get to the end of the podcast here, we're all a little ambivalent and unsure about what comes next. Current Nike Oregon Project members are people like Savan Hassan. Uh, she won two gold medals last week at the World Track and Field Championships in the 10,000 meters and the 1,500 meters. Galen Rupp, of course, a two-time medalist in the Olympics. Uh, Shannon Roberry, who we're going to be talking a little bit about here, a 1,500-meter runner. Jordan Hesse, who's set to run the Chicago Marathon this weekend. Yomif Kajelcha, Clayton Murphy, and Donovan Brazier, uh, both of whom we'll talk about as well during the podcast here. Uh, both of them made the 800-meter final in Doha, and Donovan Brazier won it and set an American record in the process. All of these people are current Nike Oregon Project members. Some of them are coached by Alberto Salazar himself. Some of them are coached by his assistant, Pete Julian. And of course, there's several former members as well, people like Matt Centrowitz, who was a gold medalist in 2016, Mo Farah, uh, the British runner who's won just loads of championships over the course of the past several years. Mary Kane, Cam Levins, and notably uh, Karen Adam Goucher, um, who served a whistleblowing function in this entire thing. We're going to be talking a lot about them as well. Michelle joined us for the podcast here. Um, I don't expect Michelle will be able to join us every week, but she didn't want the opportunity to go by uh, for her to be able to talk about this bombshell piece of news, and we're really, really glad that she was here to share her expertise with us. Um, Patrick also, of course, didn't want to let that go by, and so uh, Patrick is back to talk with us about Alberto Salazar and what this all means as well. Three quick things for you to look for um, over the course of the next few days here. In addition, of course, to listening to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion podcast, three pieces of media you might be interested in. First, um, on a happier note, on a more uplifting note perhaps, uh, the Ironman World Championship is this Saturday, um, the 12th. Um, and the streaming coverage of Kona, of the Ironman World Championship in Kona, Hawaii, uh, will start at 4.30 a.m. on Facebook, um, Hawaiian time. That's 10.30 a.m. Eastern time. Um, it's also going to be showing on MP- NBC Sports starting at 12.30 p.m. Eastern time. They're actually starting with a 90-minute show there at 12.30 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, and then after that, they're going to show live coverage. Not exactly sure how long they're going to continue that live coverage. Um, and then the other thing that's happening this Saturday that you'll want to be on the lookout for is the Enios 159 Challenge. Um, they're going to be broadcasting that whole thing on their YouTube channel. You'll recall, of course, this is Elliot Kipchoge's second attempt in what Michelle called curated condition. Uh, to try and get under two hours for the first time. Um, He has left Kenya, Elliot Kipchoge has. He is headed to Vienna now. Um, They said that they'll make the final announcement on the the exact time that it's going to be on Wednesday, on the 9th, um, and that's going to be based around the weather. But it's going to likely be sometime on the morning of Saturday the 12th, uh, between 5 a.m. and 9 a.m. Vienna time, which is 11 p.m., 
Friday night to 3 a.m. early Saturday morning Eastern Time. Uh, they did say it could be anywhere though between Saturday 10:12 and Monday 10:14. So when they make the final announcement about the time on Wednesday, on uh, October 9th on Wednesday, uh, we'll be sure to post that on our Facebook page. So so keep a lookout for it. The third piece of media I want to point you to, and I always feel strange doing this, but we've only done it a couple of times, is to say there's a different podcast you might want to listen to once you're finished listening to our conversation about Alberto Salazar that will lay the foundations for you and kind of give you our thoughts on them. Another one you might want to listen to is Clean Sport Collective. This is a fairly new podcast. It actually just came out um, not too long ago. This is only their 14th episode. Uh, but Kara Goucher, who was one of the primary whistleblowers, as I mentioned, on the Nike Oregon Project, is the host normally of this podcast. And she kind of turns the microphone around and spent an hour or so talking on the podcast. It was released today, uh, Monday the 7th, uh, talking about what it was like inside the Nike Oregon Project um, and, and then how they ultimately concluded that Alberto Salazar and many other people inside that that team were up to no good, and then ultimately why they made the decision they did to, to report it to the FBI and to USADA, and then what becoming whistleblowers actually meant for their lives. Um, it's pretty gripping, um, and it addresses a lot of the analysis that we are wrestling with at the tail end of our podcast. So, like I said, I suggest, of course, you listen to our analysis, but then once you're done listening to us, tune over to the Clean Sport Collective uh, and listen to that podcast as well um, for a little bit more of an inside look at, at how it all went down. Quick bit of business here before we hit play on our analysis. Uh, ITL Coaching and Performance, I want to remind you about them as a sponsor. You can find them at itlcoaching.com. ITL Coaching and Performance exists to build a community of athletes set on reaching goals and serving the community. They have a passion for helping people achieve their goals and dreams. ITL coaches are real people with phones, emails, and the desire to spend time with you during your training. They are vested in ITL athletes. ITL takes a communal approach to coaching, so there's always someone available to answer questions and to help adjust the training schedule. An ITL coach will be glad to meet with you to chat about your goals and find the best place to help you meet those goals. ITLcoaching.com Blue Pineapple Travel is our second sponsor. You can find them at bluepineappletravel.com. Blue Pineapple Travel are experienced travel agents who help you design the perfect trip. They are all well-traveled and knowledgeable, and they will be your advocates from start to finish. The agents at Blue Pineapple Travel love to help people plan their travel. Their goal is to match you with the trip that you want. Whether you're looking for relaxation or adventure, traveling solo or with a group inside the U.S. or abroad, they are there to match you to the trip for you. They help you curate all the travel information out there to create the exact vacation that you want. And finally, our third sponsor is SlayerX. You can find them at www.slayerx.com. SlayerX is a sports nutrition company that makes products for athletes, team sports, and anyone that trains or works outdoors. SlayerX was founded by an endurance athlete and University of Georgia food scientist who was unhappy with the choices he was offered on course in long course triathlons, so he started making all of his own mixes. Now, you can either take their online test at SlayerX.com, or you can be tested in their laboratory to determine the exact amount of liquid and electrolytes that you need to be consuming while racing. In addition to hydration products, SlayerX offers fueling products like their product Diesel, which is available with or without the optimum level of caffeine that is scientifically proven to legally enhance performance while limiting GI upset and diuretic impact. Currently, SlayerX is breaking out a new product called Spark Plug. It's a throwback to Pop Rocks for all those of us who grew up in the 80s, except that it combines the same electrolytes that are used in their other products, encapsulated caffeine, and quickly absorbed carbohydrates. 
It comes in a plastic tube so it can be carried on the run and it will work to enhance and fuel your alertness, general happiness, and performance. Remember, tell them that the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast sent you by using the coupon code PLEASANT2019 at checkout on the website and you'll get 10% off anything that you purchase there. Test, don't guess with Slayer X. Thanks to all those sponsors for supporting us so that we can bring the podcast to you. Let's get on with it. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance, Blue Pineapple Travel, and Slayer X. My name is George Darden. I'm an endurance athlete and coach here in Atlanta, Georgia. And I'm Patrick Ollinger, also an endurance coach and athlete here in Atlanta, Georgia. And I'm Michelle Frank. I guess I'm also an endurance athlete in Atlanta, Georgia, <laughs> but I'm not a coach. But I am coached by George. So. So, right on, right on. Yes, indeed. It's, it's a full house here at the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Recording Studios because we have a lot of bombshell news to talk about. One big bombshell piece of news in particular, that is, of course, the four-year suspension of the most famous track coach in the world. Would you say that's true? Oh, absolutely. And he's not only has been the most famous track coach in the world, but he's also was one of the most famous American runners, almost right. second to Prefontaine in terms of what he's accomplished and how infamous his name is throughout running circles. Well, infamous now. It was famous before. So that is, of course, Alberto Salazar. Four years for trafficking testosterone, for using illegal intravenous methods, and for trying to cover it all up. Um, Michelle was with us last week, got a lot of good feedback about how uh, deep and wide her knowledge is of the sport, but I think more than anything, Michelle, you just couldn't resist coming back to talk about Salazar, right? I mean, I'm so excited to be back. <laughs> <laughs> One week later. <laughs> so Michelle, Michelle discovered that there was no really solid timeline of the Nike Oregon Project doping investigation, and so... I created my own timeline. Yeah, you did. So, <laughs> all right, so, so given that... What's the first point on your timeline, Michelle? Um, I think the big thing was back in June of 2015 when ProPublica and the BBC um, published the initial report. Yeah. Um, the big whistleblowers being Steve Magnus and Kara Goucher. And a big part of that report was actually more in line with uh, the therapeutic use exemption and mm-hmm. the possible abuse of that by the Nike Oregon Project and Alberto right. Salazar. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they had medical records that showed that Galen Rupp, you know, one of the foremost American marathoners who's basically been coached by Salazar since he was a teenager, was already possibly taking testosterone supplements in high school. Um, So there was a lot of stuff in that report that is not actually, you know, what the arbitration decision was based on, but it was kind of the all of our uh, first insights into what might be going on there that's... uh, a little sketchy. Right on, right on. Okay, so lots of things to talk about just in that very intro thing. First of all, that ProPublica was actually written by David Epstein. That's mm-hmm. correct. Who we've talked about on this podcast a few yeah. times before, who we talked about with Alex Hutchinson. He wrote a book called The Sports Gene a few years ago, which was fantastic, even though I don't think Michelle liked it, did you? I actually didn't like that book. <laughs> but David Epstein did just put out a report a few days ago, and he called this arbitration decision the most resounding blow in track. Right. So that's a pretty... Uh, all right. pretty so. That's pretty damning because, and for those who maybe are not familiar with David Epstein or, or you know, kind of remember us discussing him throughout you know the podcast, he's almost like a right now America's best distance running writer mm-hmm. in many ways, or most kind of um, 
popular like pop writer, so to speak, right? Yeah. Like he writes the yeah. books, the Sports Science and Range. He's written for Sports Illustrated and a few other publications. And he's fantastic at taking kind of the hard research and translating right. it into right. some key takeaways, right. right? Like he was the first to write the story about the mother who was, mm-hmm. you know, treading water, except for example, for what forty minutes or so to, to that save story her kid. that haunts us from Costa Rica. Um, yeah. And he was really one of the first kind of whistleblowers. I shouldn't even say whistleblowers, but reporters that kind of help give a platform to the whistleblowers for this particular story. Yeah. And he, of course, has a keen interest in this because he, being a writer himself and someone who's really plugged into the writing community, wants to see you know the sport continue to grow in America in a way that's organic and clean, for lack of a better word. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So, so the other thing that's in what you just said is talking about Galen Rupp. Mm-hmm. All right, so so let's be clear on Galen Rupp and who he is. And there was a good piece this week in the Wall Street Journal that talks about, okay, what does this mean for Galen Rupp? Um, Galen Rupp is, it was a brilliant high school runner um, 15 years ago, and he happened to be from Oregon. And so he came on to Alberto Salazar's radar when he was still simply a high school runner, one of the best high school runners in, in the United States. He ended up going to the University of Oregon, only staying there for a couple of years, ended up going pro. And throughout that entire time, Alberto Salazar was mentoring him and guiding him and has always been his coach. Alberto Salazar and Galen Rupp are like Father, son. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they really are. They're two sides of the same coin. I mean, he said from the very beginning that this program would be built around, yeah. you know, Rupp's uh, progression into becoming one of America's best distance runners. And he did. He um, did. And so so Galen Rupp in 2012 won the silver medal in the 10,000 meters in the Olympics, right behind Mo Farah, who was also coached by... Alberto Salazar. Alberto Salazar. <laughs> um, and then in the 2016 Rio Olympic Games, he wins a silver medal in the... Uh, bronze medal. Bronze medal. Bronze medal in the marathon. In, in the marathon. Um, and he has been, Galen Rupp's kind of been not the lone American representative, but certainly the, the, the one American who has been head and shoulders above everybody else in terms of representing the United States on an international stage at the very fronts of races. Um, he won the Chicago Marathon in 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he's been injured this year, um, but I mean, yeah, he's he's... He's America's most famous distance runner, best distance runner over the course of the past half decade to decade here, and and he is very much tied in with Alberto Salazar. He's supposed to run the Chicago Marathon next week. He is, and according to everything that's out there, he is still planning to run. He hasn't said anything. So uh, Jordan Hesse, um, who had the fastest women's debut marathon at Boston, was it the fastest American women's debut? I think so. Yeah, at Boston mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. She's also coached by Alberto Salazar, and she's uh, she's supposed to run Chicago next weekend as well. Also has not had a whole lot to say, um, but one of the favorites to qualify for the Olympic team next year. She did say that she will still run Chicago. Okay. So. Okay. Um, Which I guess makes sense because, like, in a team sport, if, like, your running back is potentially ineligible and he plays, it ruins the loss for everyone. Mm-hmm. But for an individual, it's like, well... I'm so I can excited I can either, to be part like, of why, Patrick's football. Why, why would I ever? But like, why would I ever not run if I like if I, if they forfeit me for doping anyways? Okay, well, it's the same result as not running. So I I mean yeah yeah you might as well go ahead and run yeah certainly I mean so so okay so given that so let, what should we talk about first? Should we talk let's go ahead and keep on talking about his athletes. All right, so so sure. the people that he coaches, um, and then and then we'll kind of I guess circle back around to to why it is he's so much in trouble and and get back to to. to uh, the the timeline that that Michelle created here. So, um, so 
the Nike Oregon Project, and we were talking about this immediately prior to we started recording, um, he is the head coach and he's the leader of the Nike Oregon Project, built a largely around Galen Rupp, but but Mo Farah has been a part of that and, and all sorts of others. Um, over the course of the last couple of years, they brought in an assistant coach named um, Pete Julian. Um, and Pete Julian coaches lots of people as well. Um, and then prior to that, they had an assistant coach named Steve Magnus. Um, and Steve Magnus, who we've talked about on this podcast before, now coaches at the University of Houston, uh, wrote, writes a lot about the science of running and that sort of thing. And Steve Magnus, as it turns out, was one of the real big whistleblowers for um, the project here. But all sorts of people, um, I think we said last week, or I said last week during the intro, um, it's, uh, what, 12 different people? From, from various countries, from the Nike Oregon Project, are, are at the World Track Championships right now from seven different countries. Um, you know, some really notable performances there by folks that are part of the Nike Oregon Project. Donovan Brazier. American record. Yeah, Donovan Brazier wins the 800-meter gold medal uh, World Championship, sets a championship record, breaks Johnny Gray's American record, which was 33 years old. But is that also our first global Metal in the so, 800? Yeah, yeah. It's, so, a, it's, it's a pretty it's big a, deal. Yeah. Oh, gigantic deal. It runs 142.7. Um, and and he literally said he found out that morning when he woke up in Doha that that uh, on October 1st that, that his coach, Alberto Salazar, had, had been suspended. I'm sure he found out about the suspension that morning. I find it uh, hard to believe that he didn't, you know, know about some of the details that were going on behind the scenes. Um, right. He found out he was caught that morning. He, he yeah. <laughs> a few years of Alberto Salazar and Nike Oregon Project in the news. Um, I guess he could have been that clueless. He's only been there, what, two years? Yeah. Um, but the interview was interesting. Um, I'm not sure he's... Perhaps he's as clueless as he made it seem like he was. He, he, he's one of only two Nike Oregon Project athletes who were in that race. The other one was Clayton Murphy. Murphy. And Clayton Murphy did not run very well. No, he finished last. Yeah. And so, so it could be that Clayton <laughs> Murphy got the news and he was a lot more rocked by it than Donovan Brazier was. It could be that he just had a bad race. But, I mean, there were two Nike Oregon Project runners in that race, one of whom set the American record and the world championship record and won our first global medal in the post-war era uh, in the 800. And um, it's not the only record set by a Nike Oregon Project athlete at these games. So. No, no. <laughs> so, also notably, Safan Hassan became the first woman ever to win the 10,000 meters and the 1,500 meters, um, which is an incredible double. Um, two completely different races from one another. She won the 1,500 meters by running out front um, and, and basically just running away from everybody and ran, what, 351? Um, she did run a 351. She split a 201 for the last 800, and I think her last lap was 59-something. Yeah, just but. brilliant. Um, fourth place in that race was Shelby Houlihan from the United States, who runs an American record of 354 and finishes fourth. Um, and she's behind. She's three seconds. She's barely in the same picture with Savan Hassan, Nike Oregon Project athlete, who had won the 10,000 meters less than a week earlier. It's shocking to me that with Safan Hassan's mechanics in her form, oh, yeah, that she, she can run yeah. that far out front yeah. and that fast. But she she didn't really come to the lead. I think she spent 300 meters, the first 300, kind of buried yeah. in the pack. Mm -hmm. But then she just went out front, and she strung that race out. I mean, I don't know that we've ever seen... Do we have 10 women under 4 minutes? 8 women under 358? Something like that. Something crazy. It didn't even look like real results. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, but they're both Nike Oregon Project athletes. So, so just kind of use them as an entry point. Um, I don't want to say that they were tainted, but but it, it, there does feel like a shadow, right? There's a big shadow. Yeah. I mean, Patrick, what do you think? Oh, absolutely. I mean, 
to to kind of take it back to the timeline as well, I remember originally reading the report, and we haven't gotten into the details of it yet. But the report originally generated and the quotes provided by Magnus specifically, to me, were pretty damning. I mean, mm. it was, you're obviously innocent until proven guilty, but that was about as least innocent as I felt someone was <laughs> walking away from a single article. Um, and then where it really affects the athletes as well is, the other part too I think people have to keep in mind is, they've been potentially doping for like years. Yeah. This is not a a six-month improvement or spike that we've seen from right. these athletes. They, they could have been doing this. Like, Galen Hope could have potentially been, you know, doped since he was, like, 17. Yeah. I mean, that's a huge impact on one's development mm-hmm. when you just get, essentially, um, you know, extra hormones for right. from age 17 to, like, 29 or however old he is. I can't quite remember. Yeah, he's, thir- he's in his 30s right now. Yeah. yeah. Plenty of research that shows that performance enhancement drugs, you know, they can stay in your body, um, half-life's pretty long mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. it would be interesting to see you know how that factors into rut but for donovan brazier and safan Hassan, they've only really been part of the nike oregon project for the last few years mm-hmm. so it brings in a different question of mm-hmm. um you know the more that i looked into this uh i realized salazar's really been under investigation for about six years even though we only have kind of four years of a big timeline right. Right. um so the question is is you know, did they change their antics a little bit six years ago? Is it possible that Donovan Brazier and Safan Hassan and the other athletes really do have, you know, nothing nothing to hide? Um, they say they have nothing to hide, but I think you are who you associate yourself with. So. For sure, for sure. And, and and the thing about it is, too, is that, okay, so so it's always weird when you ban a coach, right? And so, so you ban a coach, okay, we got it, because what does that actually mean that he can't do? And so they did, and they, they announced it at the World Championships, and he was at the World Championships, and so they literally took his coach's pass from him. Bye-bye credentials. Yeah, they <laughs> took his credentials, and they literally posted his picture on the wall at the athlete's and coach's entrance, like a wanted poster, and said, don't let this guy in. And there's a messaging there, too, certainly from WADA and from from, from the, the IAAF, that, that people would walk in, and they'd say, hey, look, this guy, don't be him. Right. Right. I mean, there, there, there's certainly a little bit of that kind of going on as well. But, but, I mean, how do you ban a coach? I mean, it's so, so, so. Does this mean he can't talk to Galen Rupp anymore? Does this mean like, like he can't? I mean, how does that actually work? That is part of the arbitration ruling. He is not allowed to have any contact with any of his athletes or hmm. Pete Julian's athletes at all. What, so mean, essentially, if Galen Rupp and Jordan Hase are going to toe the line in Chicago, they really would not have had any contact with him from September 30th until Chicago. So, wow. so, so he can't text Even them and say the good appeal, luck? He's not allowed to have any contact with them. I mean, that's what it said. I don't know you know, how contact is defined. I would assume so. Okay, so, so, what, so what if he but says... But I can't imagine that actually. What, what if he said... Okay, so what, what if he says to Pete Julian, hey, tell Galen I said good luck, and Pete Julian texts, hey, Alberto says good luck. Just as long as they're not stupid enough to actually say in text form, tell Galen I said this, then yeah, they probably could. I don't make think it you work. need a friend in the like American arbitration <laughs> yeah. to ask them the exact. <laughs> right, but but it's but it's just so it's it's so strange to say okay you're you're banning it's, if you ban an athlete it's like that athlete can't compete done got right it. if you ban a coach it's, it's like what does it actually mean okay so so yeah you can't let him into the you take his credential away and you put his picture on the wall. Um, but but what does that actually mean? Um, and so so does that mean that, that Pete Julian, again, who's the other coach of the Nike Oregon Project and has been for the last couple of years, Pete Julian and, and Alberto Salazar, by all accounts, like they talk a lot and they, they collaborate a lot on workouts and that sort of thing. Presumably they can't collaborate anymore, can they? 
I mean, does, does Pete Julian, if, if he's like, I'm not sure exactly whether it's the right workout, normally I would ask Alberto about this, let me let me drop him a line, let me send him a message, let me give him a call and just say, hey, is six by a thousand the right thing for Jordan Hesse to be doing this week? Or Donovan Brazier or Galen Rupp or whoever? I mean, how do you actually do that? I mean, I have no idea, but according to everything that I've read, uh, Alberto would not be allowed to opine on anything like that. Okay, so, um, okay, so, so, so given that too, and given the retroactive nature of the mm-hmm. way the bands had tended to work, there are some people who are saying that, you know what, his athletes, every single one of their results should be struck. Yeah. There's one person saying that. <laughs> there's, yeah, yeah, there's at least one person. So so, so there's there's probably several others in addition on, on the message boards. One on person has put it out so, there for the world. So Mario Fraioli, who's a, who's a coach in the, in the Bay Area in California, coached a lot of ultra runners and, and some, some Olympic-level marathoners, um, um, actually put it out there and said, said they all need to be struck. But if that were to happen, that would be all of Mo Farah's world championships, basically. Both and Olympic, Olympic and world medals. So, so there'd be Matt Centrowitz's world uh, or Olympic medal in the 1500 in Rio. That would be Galen Rupp's medals, obviously. Um, that that would, would be Kara Goucher's third place finish at Boston in New mm-hmm. York all the way back to 2009. I mean, you're going really far back. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and so, so how do you actually then start to, to say, okay, well, in the last two years, well, no, Shannon Roberry, who's, you know, a world-class steeplechaser, but she was entirely coached by Pete Julian, and she's been super defensive on Instagram all week long, right? Um, like, does she actually get banned, too, just because she was part of the Nike Oregon Project? Or two years ago, Mo Farah actually left the Nike Oregon Project, and so do you take away his Olympic medals but not his 2018 Chicago win? I don't think we're ever going to actually see the Nike Oregon Project athletes stripped of their performances and medals because nobody has actually failed a USADA doping test or a WADA doping test. So I think you can make the claim that, you know, they towed the line and they might have done everything right up to the point of what couldn't have been detected by a doping test. But I'm not sure how you're going to get to, well, we need to strip everybody. Lance Armstrong never failed a doping test. Well, that's true. Which was his biggest defense. He said, I took more than 500 tests and I never failed a single one, which is true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Patrick, what do you think? Well, the other thing that's tough, too, is like, okay, so let's let's pretend they try to kind of make it all clean and like insert justice retroactively and like strip away all these medals and stuff. Mm-hmm. That's tough because like if you finish fourth in the 2016 Olympics, you still lost your moment. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, like it's it, this is not something where you... Which is why doping shouldn't happen. Um, yeah. This is not like a, an accounting error where it's like, okay, well, now we'll send you your money or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, so it's it, it's tough. The other part too is it, it, as much as we know, we still don't know ex- the extent of what happened. Okay. You know, does right. that make sense? Yeah, like we right. still don't even define what exactly he did, um, and or how much he crossed the line, or how quickly, or how and far over the line he went. And specific athletes right. were involved. So. Well, so, so so let's kind of get back to that then, because that'll get us back to the to the to the timeline, right? Yeah. And so so like we were saying before, he's. He's all, and like I said in the intro last week, he's always kind of been known for skirting those limits or coming right up to the line. And as a matter of fact, in the statement that he released after he was suspended, he said, he said, the arbitration panel cited me as the person who calls WADA more than anybody else to find out exactly where the limits are. The reason why he was calling to find out exactly where the limits are is because he was literally trying to walk right up to the limits every single time. He was known for kind of gaming the process of therapeutic use exemptions, TUEs, which basically means that, that if you have a reason for having a drug that would be performance enhancing, enhancing, you can actually use it. So for example, if you have asthma, 
you can have an inhaler. If you don't have asthma, you can't use an inhaler, right? right? So, so, I mean, that's what a TUE is. And so he would basically get some of his athletes diagnosed with maladies they didn't necessarily have in order to, to get the prescription get for the asthma right. medication and then get the uh, therapeutic use exemption. And USADA actually allows the therapeutic use exemption to be retroactive. Mm -hmm. So if something was found in an athlete, you know, if they were on a steroid or something, then you could go back and figure out why they were on that and because of a therapeutic use exemption. But he was mostly known for um, a thyroid drug, which mm -hmm. he liked to use for female athletes, especially to kind of help them make weight, Karagalcher specifically. Yeah. Um, and I think it's Advair, it's, it's, the yeah. inhaler that he yeah. he wanted to... I mean, Lauren Fleshman has spoken about him just casually, you know, mentioning that to her. So um, any type of kind of toes the line, it's not illegal, so to speak. It's not illicit, but um, if you so, don't so need the, it, you so don't the, need so it. The, so the thyroid <laughs> drug is basically for people who have a thyroid condition, and you don't need it if you don't have a thyroid condition. However, it has a side effect of doing something that's performing enhancing, enhancing right? And so so he would get people diagnosed as having this thyroid condition and thereby needing this thyroid drug, and, and they would get all the side effects while also taking this thyroid drug right. that they didn't actually need. Now, it's worth mentioning with my two runner friends here, this is the thing that, that Team Sky in cycling, which is now Team Enios, has also been criticized for. This is the thing that, that Chris Froome, who has won four Tours de France, has also been criticized for. Um, and they have a bad name in cycling because no less than Lance Armstrong himself actually tested, he did test positive on one occasion um, for testo some testosterone, but he produced a, a prescription for a cream that he said was for the scar tissue in his nether regions, based upon some <laughs> surgery he had when he had testicular cancer. Um, and and that test was therefore invalidated, or it was shown that that, that that result was due to this cream that he had a therapeutic use exemption for. Mm -hmm. So 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 in other words, therapeutic use exemptions have been have been and continue to be kind of a controversial point in sports that people who want to sort of toe the line can game that process. Yeah. And, and Alberto Salazar is has always been criticized for being one of those people. Absolutely, and, and I I was explaining this situation to someone uh, who's not a runner, never run, doesn't, doesn't know much about the running community, and I was comparing him to John Calipari, who's the, who was the coach, a basketball coach at Kentucky for a while. Yeah. Which is every and stop... Memphis. At Memphis, every stop Booyah. he had. Every stop you like he had. Like the other sport. How you feeling wrong. now, Michelle? I'm pretty <laughs> impressed, actually, George. <laughs> but like every stop he had, he'd have raging success for three years, and then a recruiting violation. Mm. And so it just got to a point where it's like, okay, for 20 years you've had right. some kind of recruiting violation. At this point, in in the in the court of law, you're innocent until proven guilty. But in kind of the court of public opinion, right. you're kind of guilty until proven innocent. Right. And that's kind of how I felt about Salazar. Even before 2015, where I was like, okay, you've beyond flirted with the rules mm -hmm. over and over and over again. And so then, like, when I read this report in 2015, it just wasn't a shocker at all. It was, Like I said, it was almost like finding out that someone who's kind of broken the rules, got caught, broken the rules, got caught. Mm -hmm. Oh, they broke the rules again. Okay. Or at least kind of went up to the Not rules. a surprise. Yeah. And so, so and, and, all right, so, Michelle, get us the timeline here. 2015... You, you, we were talking about this before we came on. 2017 to 2019, we didn't really hear a whole lot about it. Yeah, we didn't really yeah. hear a whole lot. I mean, I think from when the initial ProPublica report came out in 15 to about February 2017, there was a lot of 
who's going to stay with him, who's going to leave. Um, you know, UK athletics, Mo Farah stayed for a while and then he left after the Rio Olympics. But um, in the early part of 2017, we had the Fancy Bear hackers mm-hmm. from Russia mm-hmm. um, and they leaked the 269-page USADA report. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of when things picked up again. And um, even though people were out there saying this isn't dormant, it's an ongoing investigation, mm-hmm. we can't comment. Um, we didn't hear much, you know, until 2017, but then we really got more descriptions of what USADA was actually investigating. Right. Um, and then, yeah, went quiet a little bit again mm-hmm. until uh, last week. So. But, but, but what we found out since then is the reason why it went quiet between 2017 and last week is... The appeal. Yeah. That the, the USADA actually said, all right, Alberto Salazar, we're about to suspend you. In 2017. Um, and Alberto Salazar said, okay, can we keep it under wraps? Can you keep it quiet? And let me appeal it to this... It wasn't the court for arbitration of sport, um, but it was some sort of, of, of arbitrator... Um, let, let me appeal for an independent arbitrator. We'll come together and, and we'll talk about it. Um, and, and they kept it under wraps for two years. And so you didn't hear about it while it was undergoing arbitration. And so what actually happened last week was that the, the arbitrator said, okay, we're siding with the USADA, with, with USADA. Um, and, and in fact, we do believe there's a problem to say you did all these sorts of things and you deserve the four-year suspension they're about to hand down to you. Wasn't it um, two independent, three-person panels from no. the... I mean, I think it was pretty uh damning the you know the judgment that was handed down last mm-hmm. week so yeah um it's worth noting that nike funded you well, know the appeal <laughs> yeah. and the defense for for all these years but specifically for the last two years um so they were part of keeping everything under lock and cover as well that's a part of the story that i don't think has gotten much traction but to me is almost the most interesting there's several parts of the story that haven't gotten a whole lot of traction because i think it is so much so should we go ahead and talk about nike's role or or wait do we still need to talk about what he was actually suspended for let, let's let's talk about what he was actually suspended for right, first. Make right. sure we clarify for right, folks so, who so, haven't kind of kept up with the story as closely. All right. So like we said, there was three things, three big rules that he broke. One was was trafficking in testosterone. Okay, and specifically, it mentions um, a time when he tested testosterone cream or testosterone gel on his sons. Michelle, tell us about that. Yeah, I think there's. I'm not defending him or anything, but I think it's important (laughs) (laughs) to understand that he was testing a cream on one of his sons who is an adult who happens to also be an employee at Nike. Um, It was during the time that Steve Magnus was uh, an assistant coach there and he was... like 2008, 2009, something like that, right? Sorry, yeah. This is before Steve Magnus. Um, The idea... Alberto's defense is that he was afraid that um, his athletes were going to be sabotaged by, you know, a massage therapist or somebody rubbing cream onto them in a post-race. So he did his own testing. And there and there was this guy, this this particular massage therapist, and I can't remember his name, who evidently had had gotten in trouble for this or was sort of known for this. He had been linked to Marion Jones Correct. and a few others and all that sort of thing. And and Galen Rupp had been in a mixed zone in the, the after the, two thousand nine worlds, I think. Yeah, and, and this guy had come up and actually rubbed shoulders with him and Galen Rupp flipped out. And he actually called USADA and said, This person just brushed me and blah 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 and he was worried that he was gonna be sabotaged. So there's that. So then Alberto Salazar takes it on himself to do a whole bunch of tests on his grown son to determine exactly what threshold of testosterone cream you can rub on and not be caught basically right. Right. 
So. And so and, and, and it was a multi-tier test. He like rubbed on, you know, two ounces, then rubbed on four ounces, then rubbed on six ounces, and then they would test to see whether that would then render a positive test as he's doing this on his son. This they whole being the lab in the Nike headquarters yeah. in Beaverton, Oregon. So, right. you know. Right. <laughs> How weird is, like, that whole thing is just so weird, though, isn't it? Or is it? I mean, what do you think, Patrick? I mean, you're, you're, a, you're a normal guy. Didn't this, I mean, didn't this just, the whole thing just feels kind of shady and weird, doesn't oh, it? Oh, gosh, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> now, here's I mean, another or, point, or too. Is this, or is this just, like, what world track is? That you have coaches rubbing testosterone cream on their grown sons and then taking blood tests and, and determining how, whether it renders... The, the whole thing just seems so shady and weird. But, but at the same time, if you're, like... If you really are kind of paranoid about this one rogue massage therapist who's going around rubbing cream on people. I think this just goes to the court of opinion. I think when you stack it with everything else, it, it's pretty shady. Yeah. Well, here's the other thing, too. It's always one of those things where it's like, why is Salazar so paranoid about being sabotaged? Yeah, like Magnus isn't paranoid about his athletes being sabotaged. Okay. Like, no other coach is this paranoid about their athlete being sabotaged except this guy. Right. And sometimes, you know, there's it's almost like he's projecting his own <laughs> emotions on other people or his own kind of not-so-clean <laughs> approach to the sport. Yeah. And then there's a point of, like, you're oh, just yeah. paranoid because you're he doing has, this stuff already. He did coach Mary Sleeney in the 90s. I mean, yeah. she was convicted. I mean, he doesn't have such a clean history. I mean, he's definitely... Well, and that was my point. He the line with even himself back well, I was going to say, I was going to say, in, in, the, in the report, it, it also said that he himself, when he was an athlete in 1991, he himself used testosterone. Yeah. And he, he won the Comrades Marathon My Bucket List race in 1994, which is after, evidently, he used... Yeah. He used testosterone. And so, so even as an athlete, he was evidently towing the line and crossing the line, too. Yeah. And according to this particular report. Right. I mean, to the one that just came out that... that Michelle may or may not have read the entire report of. I did not read <laughs> <And> <laughs> three hundred pages. For, for whatever it's worth, too, um, just to bring it in from other sports as well, in baseball, when they started to kind of say, okay, steroids is not good, they moved from needles to cream as a way to kind of, all right, maybe is this towing the line? Is that kind of thing? And it was about the same timeline you were talking about in 2009 with, with Galen I think baseball Rupp. got rid of its problem in a way. They did. Yeah. Well, they got rid of their problem by pretending there wasn't a problem. And then Congress got involved, and then yeah, well, they I mean, squashed it. Well, but and, that, and that's okay. And so we should probably background. We should probably background a whole doping conversation on this by saying that the track and field, in my opinion, and y'all are welcome to disagree with me as always. In my opinion, track and field and cycling don't have a bigger doping problem than any other professional sport. It's just that cycling and track and field have gone out of their way to try and catch. Dopers, and so what that means is they get this reputation for being filled with doped athletes. Whereas baseball was filled with dope athletes around the time of Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire twenty years ago. Oh yeah, and 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 they just weren't testing anybody, and so yeah. so so you don't tend to think of baseball as using performance enhancing drugs and being a dope sport, but it's because they're not testing anybody because they're just turning a blind eye to the whole thing. That's some bullshit, and so yeah. so so we're, we're not. I don't know. So, so I'm, I'm always conflicted whenever we talk about doping in, in track and field and cycling because we're, we're furthering this idea that it's this heavily doped sport so much more so than other professional sports. And I really don't think it is. So I would say I agree 100% with you that I don't think track and field and cycling is more doping than like basketball, baseball, football. Where I think the reason why people are so much more obsessed over it in cycling and, and running is, like for example, if you dope in baseball, 
Yes, that absolutely helps you hit the ball like what five meters further or so yeah. per swing. But there's so many other factors. But there are other factors. Determining who wins and who loses. Right. Yeah. And you still have to hit it. Right. It's a thing. And and. And and by the way, I don't want that to come off as an excuse at all. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, but I also think that that misunderstands what performance-enhancing drugs can do for you. Because performance-enhancing drugs can actually help you make contact with the ball. They can actually change the way that you process the information that you're seeing. And so, so I do think they actually help you make contact with the ball. I think it's also, too, I think it's the, 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 the downside or it's the, the negative side of the coin or whatever metaphor you want to use of what we've talked about before that makes endurance sports so awesome. And endurance sports are so cool because we do the same stuff they do a lot of times on the same courses and even in the same races that they do it. Right. You know? Like we ran Chicago with yeah. with Galen, I yeah. say, with air yeah, quotes. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they fired the gun and Galen started and we started and he finished, you know, yeah. a long time before we did and he won the race. But but that was cool that we were out there sharing the course with Galen Rupp and several others, right? Yeah. Uh, that was very cool. And so people don't like to share the course. I mean, it feels like he cheated us. Right? That's if Galen, a great point. If, if Galen Rope was doping, it feels like, well, it wasn't just the other people he beat. He also cheated. He beat you, me and you by doping, too, that day. That's a great point yeah. that I haven't thought of. And I think you... I think that's probably... You're onto something there. So, I mean, but... I don't know. So, so anyway, that was that was sort of a random disclaimer I just tossed in here. But I think we should get back to the other two reasons. Where Absolutely, you saw the hand of the band down. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. So, so, so that's one is that is that trafficking and testosterone because in in order basically to 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 dope his sons and or his son and all that stuff, which. To your credit, Michelle, you you pointed out it's his adult son because you definitely think about like, hey, daddy. I mean, I do at People least. People are looking at this like he's <laughs> testing his eight-year-old boys, and right. you know, again, not not defending him in any way, but I just think context is important. I think um, I think you're, you're right. I think you're right. Around. Now, assuming of course that he wasn't actually giving prednisone and testosterone to seventeen-year-old Galen Rupp, and that would be a problem, but that's what Magnus and others have have, have intimated. All right, so the second thing is L-carnitine, right? Yeah, he apparently participated in the administration of it with a doctor from Texas, Dr. Brown, uh, by a prohibited method. Mm -hmm. Uh, The problem was the infusions Mm -hmm. that they were giving. It wasn't an injection. It was literally an IV infusion. Um, So, and that's kind of where Jeffrey Brown, uh, the doctor from Texas, comes in. And he was also handed a four-year suspension of his medical license. So right. he went down with that also. Right. So L-carnitine, and, and lest anybody kind of freak out here and think, oh, wait, that's an amino acid. That's in you know my daily supplement. L-carnitine is not a banned substance um, in moderation. Yeah. Um, but what Salazar found was that if you take like literally 300 times the amount that, that is in your little local amino acid supplement, that it can have some pretty significant impacts on your your oxygen uptake. But the only way that you can get that amount of L-carnitine into your body is by, like you said, having an IV. Yeah. Um, and it's against the it's against USADA and, and WADA rules to, to infuse that much of something unless it's for a medical necessity. Yeah, um, my research of that, um, you know, the best way that I could summarize it was that L-carnitine, it kind of increases energy production from fats and then... It delays the need to take from the glycogen stores, mm-hmm. so you could imagine how you know that would yeah. turn itself over in, in endurance sports, especially. Yeah. Um, that would have a huge impact on like the marathon. Yeah. Yeah, and even cycling. Also, I mean, this is yeah. part of the report um, when it was linked by Fancy Bears that uh, after 
you know, Salazar got the results from Dr. Brown, he emailed Lance Armstrong. Right. Um, so that's pretty damning. Yeah. <laughs> right. um, if nothing else before that was, wait, you know, wait, look wait. at this. It's amazing. You're never going to believe the effect that it has. So. And he said, um, he said, so, okay. I'd so, love so, to know how to save, you know, those stores. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, so three things to say about this. Number one, this is the same effect that supposedly taking ketones and drinking all those $30 ketone drinks three times a day, the, 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 the people in, or the teams in the Tour de France, sparing your glycogen and having more glycogen late in the race, this is supposedly what drinking ketones actually does for you. So just as a side note, if you're looking for, if you're like, hey, L-carnitine, maybe that does it for me. Okay, L-carnitine in the amounts that you need to do it is not legal because you'd have to infuse it, and that's what he just got banned for. But, you know, maybe your ketone drinks, you can do it that way. Um, the, the the other thing to say about it is who is his guinea pig in this? Steve Magnus, Steve Magnus was. Right. So Steve Magnus himself was actually the person that was infused with these massive amounts of, of L carnitine. And and what year was that that he was infused? Was 2000, that 2012? 2011. 2010, 2011. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so the third thing is is as as Michelle just said, as soon as they got the results from this, this was in the midst of of Lance Armstrong 2.0. This was when Lance Armstrong was trying to make his comeback. He had already retired. He had already won his seven tours of France, and then he decided he wanted to make a comeback, and so he spent two or three years coming back and trying to win yet another Tour de France, which he did not. Um, and and he, when they got the results back, again, and it's the Nike lab doing their test results. I mean, that whole thing's shady. We're going to get to the Nike connection in just a minute. <laughs> but but uh, uh, Salazar writes this glowing, fired-up email, enthusiastic email to Lance Armstrong, of all people, and says, and says, hey, Lance, we got the results from the carnitine. It's amazing. It's amazing. He said, the only people I'm telling are you and Galen Rupp. Yeah. It's pretty bad. Don't email stuff. <laughs> I mean, don't send anything through email that you, you know, don't ever want someone to find. What's, what's the Emile Zola quotation that I really, really like? It's if you try and bury the truth, it sprouts like a tree. I mean, it's just... Anyway. Well, not only that, but if this truly were something you're like, man, this is clean, this is great, this could really help people's health, why would you not just, like, commercialize it? Right. So like he clearly knew it was shady. Otherwise, you don't reach out to. Or okay, so so on that note, so so, so may, maybe he's. I mean, but this is kind of part of, of, of why he's, of of his whole his whole ethic is that he's like, all right, it's hyper competitive. I want to try and find an advantage for my athletes, and I'm not going to share it with other people. It's like an arms race, right? Mm -hmm. And so he finds he finds this thing. So, and this is this is sort of a macro idea, and it's something we can continue to think about as we're talking about this. But you just kind of have can't help but wonder. All right, if the line is ten, and you are living at nine, point right? nine nine. Yeah, point yeah, exactly. <laughs> point nine 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 nine. If you are living there, how easy is it to cross over into ten just a few times? I feel like that would be easy. Oh, um, for sure, very and, easy. And if you're living at at eight or living at seven. Maybe not so much, because that would take a significant chunk to actually, it would make a big difference to, for you to actually cross the line. If you are living at 999, if you are literally constantly reassessing exactly where 999 is, I don't feel like it would take all that much to actually cross up to 10. That would almost become your floor, not your average. Right. So, so I mean, that that's kind of part of why I think that there's probably even more to it than what he did. All right. So, third thing he got suspended for. Yeah, he attempted to tamper basically with the doping control process, yeah. um, meaning he, you know, advised his athletes uh, to not disclose to doping officials that they were receiving this infusion. Yeah. 
Um, so I guess if part of USADA, you know, coming to do a drug test is have you received any type of IV infusion in the last whatever, then his athletes were instructed just to say no. Um, so that was the third and final thing. And honestly, that to me, like the, the re- worst of all. The, 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 well, well, yeah, kind of. <laughs> yeah. The, 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 the rest of it is bad. But the, so the rest of it's bad, and we're talking about it, and we're, we're like, but we're also kind of talking about, oh, he had this reputation, da, 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 da. Like, to me, there's evidence of that. And so if you're only going to look at the evidence, okay, what is there evidence that he did? We can only suspend him based on evidence. There's evidence of that, and that's enough. Yeah. So the L-carnitine, yeah, think, think, okay, that's weird. Yeah, okay, the trafficking testosterone, rubbing on your son's totally weird, but, but all right, fine. Does that, eh, let's, let's, let's get bogged down the technicalities of whether he deserves it. But act, he, he, he actively instructed his athletes to obfuscate. Right. That's not okay. No. Right. Obstruction of justice, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's that's what gets you in trouble. So. And then, yeah. and this is kind of jumping points too, but one of the discussions that, that's kind of, you know, taken fire within like Let's Run.com and the, the running community in general is how much do we punish the athletes and how much did they know? Yeah. FYI. No matter who your employer <laughs> is, if they call you up and say, hey, when the police call, don't tell them you did this. That should raise a red flag. Right? <laughs> yeah. At yeah. that point, you know you're complying with something. Have you have you seen that that, <laughs> that meme? I've, I've seen it a few times that says, "Hey, text your friends and say if the police call you, you know, find your real friends. If the police call you, just say I was with you last night, okay? And to, and to see what the response is. <laughs> and it's like, it's it's like a friend test, yeah. You know, um, and 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 then people post their results on Facebook, and you know. A lot of people's friends are like, okay, cool. Everything okay? I'll totally do that for you. And I'm, like, I'm like, I don't know if I'd do that for you, Patrick. I don't know about that. I definitely wouldn't do it for Michelle. I'm crossing but. you off the list, George. <laughs> yeah, definitely not. You're off my list, too. All right, so so, so let's talk Let's talk about the athletes, and then we're going to talk about Nike. How's about, how about that? Yeah. And, and, and so let's use as talking about the athletes. Do you want to talk about Shannon Roberry? We can talk about her a little. Um, okay. You know, she's... Uh, American record holder, two-time Olympian. Um, steeplechaser. Steeplechaser? 1,500 meter. 1,500 meter run. I'm just making stuff up now. Uh, she ahead. actually just held the American record until Shelby Houlihan broke it right. um, yesterday in Doha, actually. She dropped it by one and a half seconds. But anyways, she is a uh, new mom herself. And, you know, prior to even really having her baby, and she's really kind of a heads down, no drama do the hard work, let the results speak for themselves, uh, always on a world's team, always on an Olympic team since she's turned professional runner. And she's been really, really defensive uh, this past week. She's put up posts that explain, you know, her her defense of why she went to the Nike Oregon Project a few years ago, um, her making sure everybody knows that her coach is Pete Julian and that she's not coached by Alberto. And that's actually been a rhetoric that if you follow the sport, you've seen for about the last 18 months or so, instead of, you know, just saying Nike Oregon project athlete X, it's always Nike Oregon project athlete coached by Pete Julian or Mm. coached by Alberto Salazar. It was almost, you know, the stepping stones for if all these things fall apart, then at least let's give Pete Julian the credentials and, uh, that he needs so that people know that he exists behind the scenes or so right. to speak. Um, right. But yeah, I feel bad for her. Um, I think she's, you know, taking a beating. I don't, I don't know that, you know, part of me is you are who you associate yourself with, but another part of just, uh, but, but she's interesting this week. Cause like you said, she's kind of reserved, but she's been pushing super back. defensive. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so, and, and you, you've, you've been following her on Instagram and talking about it. what's some of the things she's been kind of pushing back to say. 
Yeah, I mean, she's explained, you know, why she went to the Nike Oregon Project. She wanted to stay in California. She actually, you know, reached out to Steve Magnus, who her husband... Um, she's from California. She's she, from yeah, she went to college and... Um, you know, and he was actually part of her decision um, to begin her professional career with the Nike Oregon Project. So he uh, being the husband or Magnus? Magnus, actually. Okay. So it was interesting. I I saw her say that. I I sent it to George. I don't ever send George much, but um. <laughs> <laughs> that's why you're not on his friend list. Yeah. <laughs> right. So that, you know, that, like that is that is that is sarcasm <laughs> at its finest. Okay, um, and it was interesting. And, and, but, but, but it should be said, I appreciate it. <laughs> You're welcome. So it was interesting to see, um, you know, if Steve Magnus would respond to that. I, I was particularly interested um, because that was already at a time, that was, I think, 2014, and that was already two years after, you know, he left Nike Oregon Project after first thinking it was his dream job and then only being there for 18 months. So that's an interesting, uh, you know, an interesting piece of the puzzle and, and mostly she's just out there making sure everyone knows that she lives in California. She trains on her own. She's coached by Pete and not Alberto. Um, but I think, you know, everybody's coming to question anybody who wears the Nike Oregon Project kit. Um, right. So right. she probably feels pretty directly attacked, even yeah. though yeah. she's not competing yeah. this month right yeah. now. And, 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 but I think, it, I think it speaks to, so we, we talked a few minutes ago about Okay, so what do you do with the athletes now? And so, so how how culpable are the athletes for the actions of the coach? Um, and and she very strongly is saying, I'm not. And and she and she says, it's not like I was flush with options here. She went to Duke, um, and and she's she, she's trying to make the step up to the pro level. It's not like she's not flush with options here. You know, it's not, not like she has, she has multiple opportunities and, and different things you can choose from. Um, that, that she had pretty much one or two options and that was about it. Right. And then coming back after having a baby, she had virtually none. Correct. Um, and so, so for us to then be saying, well, you know, you should have known better and you shouldn't have associated with them. And she's like, I, this, I, it didn't really have all that much of a chance. But the other side of the puzzle is that you have, you know, athletes like Dathan Ritzenheim and Matt Centrowitz and Mo Farah. I mean, they're also, you know, world champions, Olympic medalists, and they did separate ties with Nike Oregon Project over the last four or six years. So um, should she have left? I mean, should she leave? I think it's, you know, it'll be interesting to see where where they all go, kind of what happens now. But um, and, it, and if you start to if you start to, to say okay we're gonna we're gonna suspend some of the athletes we're gonna hold the athletes responsible for some of the actions of the coach here I mean it makes for such a difficult and such a thorny situation because yeah. how do you then say okay well Mo Farah left and and but then Donovan Brazier came on but he only came on two years ago and and Clay Murphy and Shannon Roberry um, you know she was here and then she left for a little while and she came back like like how do you actually start to draw those divisions and, and distinctions um, and that's tough too because I mean there are a lot of athletes that jumped onto the Nike Oregon project probably got a whiff of what was going on and left after about 18 months where even mm-hmm. if they didn't know exactly what was happening they were like mm-hmm. I'm not sure about this mm-hmm. and you hate to prosecute somebody like that right. who just thought similar to Magnus the coach who ended up blowing the whistle thought hey this is a dream job right then got on the inside, saw how the sausage was made, and was like, "I'm not so sure about this." So you, then you hate to, 
right. derail their whole career or, or prosecute them. We're also talking about like 22 and 23-year-old people. Right. I was a moron when I was 23 years old. <laughs> like, like I, I, I joke with my wife that she and I would have met when I was 23. Like, she wouldn't have liked me. And she wouldn't have. I didn't. I, like, if I met myself when I was 23 now, I wouldn't like myself, you know? And, and expecting like these really super mature decisions from 21-year-olds, forget about it. You know, I, I just, I, I, I don't know. It's, I'm very torn by this idea that, that you have to hold the athletes responsible. But at the same time, it's, it's one of the, the four year ban. It's, it's too much and it's not enough. You know, it's, it's how do you, how do you actually find that, that spot? So that's um, actually brings up another point we haven't talked about. When you saw that it was a four year ban with your initial reaction, great. They got them. I mean, that, that's probably a little too, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, negative. But my point is, did you feel like, hey, that was enough or not enough, or just right? What was y'all's reaction? For a coach of his stature, a four-year ban is, I mean, that's it. He's done. But honestly... Is he, is he though? I think that, so. Ooh, okay. Four, but four years, that, that's not that long. And he's, he's what? He's probably 55 years his old. His reputation is tarnished forever. Four-year coaching ban. I mean, that's an entire Olympic cycle. It, I mean, it, it could be tarnished forever, but, I mean, Nike is standing by him right now. We're going to talk about Nike in just a minute. But Nike's currently standing by him. He's on appeal. He's like, oh, I'm innocent from this, blah, 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 blah. If, if he maintains this, I'm innocent, I'm innocent, and Nike continues to stand by him for four years? Yeah, if he has the support of Nike, I'm, you know, he can, and, and he can come back to right where he is after four years, then I have no doubt he'll try to come back. As much as I think it's a... You know, it's a band that is pretty damaging to his reputation. I, I do still, I'm, I'm all about the lifetime ban. I think it's the only way to really, you know, eradicate doping from the sport completely. The consequence in is and of itself thing. is not yeah. enough. <laughs> but um, I am for, I, I, I don't know. I, 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 as I've thought about this week, I think I am in favor of lifetime bans for coaches and for, and for doctors and for support staff and that sort of thing. I don't think I'm in, in favor of lifetime bans for athletes. I don't think that, I don't think Lance Armstrong should have a lifetime ban. Uh, okay, so that's a different podcast. <laughs> yeah, let's get back to Salazar. My reaction was for four years was almost similar to yours of like, oh geez, he'll be this like the snake will be back, like almost like the the you chop the head off and then two grow back, so to speak. Like, oh goodness, is this enough? And, 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 and make Have we mistakes. ever seen this? But that's I don't know. That's Have a good point. We've me? never seen a precedent like this in any way, shape, or form. And 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 for me too. And we talk about this too. We talk about like like. The, the age group, and we talked about this with Slayer X, we've talked about this with, with all sorts of other things, that the elite age groupers now are starting to get things that pros formerly only got, mm -hmm. right? And so I can guarantee you, even, in the, even while he's suspended, there are some elite age groupers, um, like people basically that, that are probably my age, probably 45 years old, that are probably looking to run about what I run, um, they're like, Alberto Zalazar. I would hire that guy as my coach, you know? And they probably have no problem with the fact that he might rub some testosterone cream on him. Like, so so I think he could still have a future as a coach of elite age groupers. Yeah, but that's not what he wants. He wants of to be the coach of Olympic that. gold medals. But, but, but of course he doesn't want that, but he could still make loads of money being, being albertazalazar.com. Do you think he's... I don't think he's in it for the money. He's in it for the... Fame. I mean, he wants to be. I think it's probably he's probably in it for all of it. But but I, but I'm I think just saying he has enough money by now. So he's I, got I, a I, building I'm, named after himself on the Nike campus. Which again, we're going to get to the Nike sport here in a second. But but I, I just I just I don't think that, that this is this is a death penalty. Um, that, I think that, it's a death penalty for the face of the Nike Oregon project. 
Okay. I think they're going to have to take a different direction. Um, I don't know what that's going to be. Okay. I think it'll play out over the next several months. Um, whether or not it just stays dormant because of the appeal, that's also a possibility. But I think you're going to see some type of shift. Right. Yeah. Um, right. I, think, I think we're all in agreement that, that we were almost hoping for the death penalty for Salazar himself. Or I shouldn't even call it the death penalty, but the lifelong ban. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. since, since there actually is okay. such a thing as a death penalty, right. we probably shouldn't like use that phrase. But yeah, no, for sure. I, yeah, I, I would... I Again, I would draw that distinction because I'm, I'm not in favor of lifelong... I don't think Lance Armstrong should have a lifelong ban. Lance Armstrong can't run the Austin 10K. Like that's not okay. He could. He can't run the Peachtree Road Race. Can't do a triathlon either. He, yeah, I mean, and, and I'm I'm okay with with saying he can't p- compete in pro cycling events. I'm I'm actually okay with that. But but to say that he can't do his local 5K or local 10K, like that to me just feels I, it just feels like too much for somebody like him or like like me, frankly, who who so much of my self concept and my identity is wrapped up in endurance sports. I mean, he's literally not allowed to do something that's a fundamental part of who he is now. Yeah. Um, and and I just, I, I, I'm not in favor of that for athletes. For coaches, I, I can I can see it. Mm-hmm. I, and but that, but that's this is this is a new insight I've gained this week, and so it's not fully developed. So by all means, if somebody disagrees with me, reach out and let me know. But but I'm not in favor of the lifetime ban for athletes. Um, but for coaches, I think I would be because four years, four years in the life of an athlete that that can that can basically that that'll take you out of metal contention absolutely um four years in life of a coach it's not going to kill your career he could i think he eventually could could make his way back i guess we'll have to find out yeah i guess we'll see see yeah yeah (laughs) so i mean by all means i tend to get things wrong all the time (laughs) on this podcast i you know last year last year patrick and i said nobody's going to approach 20139 for years and years and years and then 12 months later here comes you know, the, the king on his throne, Kennedy Sebekele, runs 201.41. You know, last week, I, I said, I, I, I even corrected Michelle Frank, which is always a mistake, and says, no, no, uh, Sarah Hall, she was she was sixth in the Berlin Marathon, not fifth, and she was fifth. Um, <laughs> so, so that's how it goes. Sarah Hall, who is running the 10-mile championships this weekend. She won the 10-mile championship shut this up. morning. Shut <laughs> up. Where have you been? It's been like I've, an hour and a half. <laughs> I've been recording this podcast with both of you, talking about Alberto M.F. Salazar. She won before I even left to drive up here today. All right, so so Sarah Hall, who we were questioning for her dubious choice of doing the New York City Marathon in four or five weeks. Sarah after Hall, having, who ran a 2.22 in Berlin last after, week. After having <laughs> run 2.22 and finishing sixth in Berlin last week. Fifth, but which was the sixth fastest time ever by an American woman. How about that? Okay, that's fine. Okay, but that's true. She still finished fifth. She finished fifth. Um, went out and was on the starting list for the U.S. 10-mile championships this morning, and according to the guru, she won. She did win. Okay. All right. I'm going to have to... I'm not sure what else she can throw in between now and New York, but I'd almost be disappointed (laughs) if she didn't, you know, what are we going to do next? Right. Right. Don't worry. She'll probably run several, like, you know, 29-mile... Training runs. Training runs at roughly marathon pace. Yeah. Um, But anyway. All right, so... Let's talk about Nike's involvement. Uh, Nike is the yeah. funder of all this. <laughs> all right, so so I, mean, I think it's pretty it's pretty hard to take Nike out of the picture. So there 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 is, and I, I I said this during the intro last week. 
there is a building on the Nike campus named after Alberto Salazar. Mm -hmm. Alberto Salazar came along as a professional runner himself in the 1980s when Nike was developing as a company, and he was sponsored by Nike. And so he he is responsible for a lot of the way that Nike has developed into the running shoe company that it is today. Um, and they recognize that. They do. Um, and And... They've paid for a lot of his defense. They paid for the arbitration of the past two years. Their statement uh, after the decision was handed down last week was pretty unequivocally supportive of Alberto Salazar, right? Yeah, it was. Um, and just to throw yet something else on top of there, um, their CEO, uh, a guy named Mark Parker, who's currently CEO of Nike, um, was pretty deeply involved in, or at least was, was being kept very closely informed about the results of the testosterone rubbing cream on your son's experiment that was going on in 2009, around that time, right? He literally was trading email with Alberto Salazar saying, okay, tell me what those thresholds are, tell me what those thresholds are. Now, that's weird not only for him, because he's actually a competitive runner, mm -hmm. that evidently he was kind of potentially looking for some some indications for himself um but also the fact that he's being kept aware of i mean he, he it's, it's not like alberto salazar is going off on this rogue mission i mean he's being he's literally he's literally apprising the ceo the highest person in the company about everything that he's up to all this stuff that to us from the outside appears to be so shady yeah he um can i read a line from his from, letter to the from employees mark parkers yeah yeah so he says um but for us, the Nike family, I want you to know that when I ask you to do the right thing, I'm doing the same myself. I would never condone cheating of any kind in sport or otherwise, and I expect you wouldn't either. Um, sort of a bold statement from the CEO of a company that's, you know, already really clearly associated with, yeah. with, che with cheaters <laughs> yeah. all around, you know, um, yeah. sprinters, cyclists, yeah. uh, the swoosh is all over everything. Mm -hmm. So, um I mean, when, when Lance Armstrong went on Oprah Winfrey and said, hey, I did it, I mean, they, they, they shoved him away. Really fast. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and they're not doing that with, with Alberto Salazar. Um, they're, they're supporting him and, and continuing to, to, to back his appeals. So, how many of the three of us are wearing vapor flies in the next race? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> All three of us. All three of us. Um... <laughs> I want the pink ones. <laughs> well, I was actually they thinking drop, about they this. They drop at 10 a.m. on 10-10. They do? Yes. I love that you know that. So, yeah, four days from today. Are you going to get a pink pair? So, I am not. I could, because I already have, I already have pair? my backup pair. No, right. I already, already have my pair that's going to take me through the next year. So, I figure I'll wear the pair that I wore in Sacramento last December for maybe the 10-miler and the Thanksgiving half. Right. And then get a new pair for... 2020. That'll be fresh. Hey, right. But I was thinking about that. How much <laughs> of how <laughs> much did it cut down on some Nike athletes' time to be wearing the vapor flies and the potential doping that like any that an athlete like five years ago for another yeah. country just wouldn't have. Yeah, yeah I mean yeah, you know. Yeah. No, I mean between those we two might things, see shoe regulations also, you know. I don't know how they're gonna do that now that every shoe, shoe company has shoe a carbon doping. plate, but Yeah, um. I mean no so I mean I think we're all kind of grasping at straws a little bit because, I mean... Right, because you want to hate Nike and you want to swear them off forever a little bit. But those vapor flies, man, they're pretty awesome shoes. <laughs> yeah, I know. And I, and I love some Steve Prefontaine. And I, and I, I appreciate that, that 
I appreciate their ads. And I and I, I, I like that... Uh, you know, I don't buy their clothes, though. I wouldn't buy anything. Okay. You're, 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 right, you're well. literally <laughs> sitting in front of us wearing a Nike Okay, but pullover. it is an ITL coaching <laughs> shirt and branded purchase from Nike. I didn't... You know, I didn't go out to get a Nike shirt. So you, you sound like Alberto Salazar splitting hairs there, Michelle. All right. I could take that back. <laughs> but here's another interesting part, too. So, I mean, we all watched, like, uh, what was it called? Icarus, where it was, like, mm-hmm. a state-sponsored cheating scandal. Oh, yeah. Yeah. How does that differ from just a private company cheating scandal? Because, in a way, you could say, oh, well, a private company, you can squash them and kind of keep going. But... In a way, it almost makes it a little harder because private money, a lot of times, can be a lot more, you know, than maybe public money. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you can squash Nike, and they can just find a different avenue or a different kind of private funder. And 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 the carbon rocket is not the vapor fly. No, it's actually horribly uncomfortable. So <laughs> I mean, it's just so. My wife uh, has given me a hard time in the past about uh, my boycotts. Um, but I'm adamant. There, there, there's a handful of companies that that, that I boycott, and, and and if there's companies I really like, I tend to give them three strikes. Right? Chick Fil A gave three strikes, and I don't need Chick Fil A anymore. Um, Sirius XM Radio gave them three strikes, and I don't go to Sirius XM anymore. I, I haven't gone to BP since the the oil spill off the coast of, of New, New Orleans. Orleans a few years ago. Well, that was like ten years ago now. Right? <laughs> I know. I was like, yeah. A few and so, 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 but I'm pretty adamant about these sorts of things, right? And and um, yeah, there, 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 there's a, there's a lot of them, and and. It was funny, Brent Pease, of all people, who we've talked about on this podcast before, in 2017, wrote me and said, hey, you're going you're gonna to boycott Nike now. And I gave him a much longer response than I'm sure what he was looking for. Um, but I said, I remember in that email, I went back and looked at it, I said, if it turns out that Nike was suborning cheating, then yeah, I'm kind of bound ethically to not support Nike anymore. Now, this is pre-Vaporfly. <laughs> right? But, the vapor fly changed your ethics. So, so your moral compass went... Oh. It's not supposed to because that's like completely contrary to the whole notion of ethel, ethics and morals, right? But but so anyway, the point being is that... The, the, night, okay, this is a question I want to ask y'all because, again, we're kind of grasping at straws, I feel like. But, but here's a question I want to ask y'all. How much do you think Nike is doing something wrong? I think Nike is definitely doing something wrong. I think... You know, we've seen it over the past. They have the money to do whatever they want to do. They have the money to hide whatever they want to hide. But but I think we should also think about the people that work there. You know, thousands of them, they're not they're not the ones doing yeah, this. I mean, there's not. some ethical people there, you know, making good products. So it's hard to differentiate um, I, behind I, the I scenes, totally what agree. might be going on behind the scenes with also wanting to support the innovation, um, you know, what they are doing for the sport of running and other sports, so... And what they have done. I mean, they. I mean, you look all the way back to the 1970s and see Prefontaine and all that sort of thing. I mean, the, the experimental, the, the waffle souls of Bill Bauer. Okay, I'm totally, like, spouting Nike lore here. <laughs> um, but, but their CEO was totally involved, and maybe they had a different CEO that it might be a little bit different. But So may, maybe, like, the company direction is literally a part of his own personal and professional survival as well. Those two things are bound up together. I can't even imagine that um, Mark Parker, that's his name? Yeah. That he that he's going to survive this also. I feel like Nike's taken a beating, you know, the last two years or so, especially with their women's, uh, you know, dream maternity, all that stuff mm-hmm. that's been going on lately. Um mm-hmm. It would be nice to see some type of 
bold statement from Nike, like getting rid of the CEO that, you know, kind of just reassures people like us um, that maybe they don't condone this, but... It's okay to keep wearing ready for flies? Yeah. <laughs> Patrick, what do you think? Patrick, who works in corporate America. Um, I would say, one, uh, I highly doubt the Nike CEO is getting fired. Keep in mind, sales are up. Um, <laughs> just so, dreaming. What? I'm just dreaming. Yeah. Um, and that's yeah, that's the metric. So until the whole PR stuff will, it's, it's up and down. I mean, keep in mind, this is the same company with that sponsored Colin Kaepernick and did all those ads. Um, but that's what drives me insane. I like the Colin Kaepernick stuff. I do. I like the fact that there's a, a Nike hijab. Mm-hmm. That's that's awesome. Like mm-hmm. I like that. And so so I want to support the company that because because they're inclusive around sports and everything else like that. I think it's cool. I mm-hmm. think it's great, right? But then this. Mm-hmm. Um, Compartmentalize. You I think that's what you have to do. But. <laughs> How do you compartmental? I mean, you can't compartmentalize about about that. You can't compartmentalize. Oh, I'm going to buy their shoes, but not buy their. I mean, how do but you do that? That's what you're doing. But not buy their stock. But that's what you're doing. Support a support, man. I mean, one one way or another, I'm I'm voting with my pocketbook, and they're getting some. Do- you're getting two hundred fifty dollars for a pair of shoes from me, which is way too much. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. And and then I'm running in them and running well, and people see it, which thereby ensures that even more people are probably going to buy. Mm-hmm. People definitely see this. All right, I interrupted you, Patrick. Keep going. So I would say that would be my first reaction. Second one is... I, I agree with you on that. At, at a big company, I mean, as you guys know, as Michelle, you kind of alluded to, like, this could have been limited to a, a handful of people. This doesn't strike me as something that was widespread throughout the company, where it's like, all right, for the entire sales team, I want you to tell our, you know, employees that this medicine will doesn't have this side effect when it actually does, right? That's not, like, it, this doesn't feel like a systematic, like, you know, um, deception that, like, touches every aspect of the business, right? Like, if you work in the, in the um, like, basketball department, y- you don't know or have any effect, uh, you know. Th- th- this story has no, probably has very little effect on you. You have probably very little say in it. Heck, you may not even know who Alberto Salazar is if you are located in a different office, not in Oregon, but in, you know, I don't know where the other offices are, working in advertising or something like that, or, you know, in just a different department entirely. So, um, to me, this this strikes me more of like, I, I would, I don't, I don't feel like going after the institution quite so much, because the other part of this too is this, in a way, this does fall under the Nike brand of like, we're going to keep pushing further. I, I agree with you, except that Mark Parker's a CEO. Yeah. So if, if Mark Parker was the head of running, that might be different. And, and even then, I would have a hard time. I'd be like, well, okay, I'm going to buy their r- basketball shoes now, but not their running shoes anymore. I mean, it's, it's a bit different. But, yeah. but it's, it's hard for me when you say at the highest level of the company, they were probably informed and aware to compartmentalize that way. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Because, yeah, it's probably true that that advertising executive or that person who does product development for their their basketball shoes, like – that person was not like signing off on Alberto Salazar's shady behavior. Certainly not, right? But but at the same time, the CEO of the company kind of was. And the CEO yeah. of the company, to the degree that they're like a representative of the entire company, that to me, the same way that, that, that Alberto Salazar being the head of the Nike Oregon Project casts a shadow over the entire Nike Oregon Project, the fact that Mark Parker was involved casts a shadow over the entire Nike organization. 
That's why my idea of firing him is so good. <laughs> I agree. It keeps you from having to go shoe shopping for I agree. your next marathon shoe. No, I, I agree. If if um, if if they were to, I, I would love to see that. Frankly, if, if if they were to fire him and they were to say, you know what, he screwed up a lot of stuff. He he screwed up the thing around around um, maternity Fine. and leave and all that stuff. Um, he screwed up the stuff around around Alberto Salazar. Now this guy's got to go. We're going to have a new direction for our company. I'd be like, fantastic. And I'd go out and buy my next percents. The pink ones that are coming out this week. Yes. Um, but Allison Felix broke Usain Bolt's record in Doha. Did you see that? She did. She now has the most uh, global medals. Mm-hmm. And no longer with Nike. There's a lot out there on her and uh, you know how she was treated when she uh, told Nike that she was pregnant and coming back from her pregnancy. So... That's a whole other podcast topic, right. though. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you actually explained my segue there because it felt like a really odd pivot there for an <laughs> oh instant. Gosh. So yeah, very good, very good. All right, y'all. So so we're not going to solve all the world's problems today, but but hopefully we did give you a little bit to think about. An old friend of mine, one of my literally one of my oldest friends, um, probably my one of my very very oldest friends. I've known him since birth. Um, reached out to me on I want to say Tuesday, um, and said uh, he lives in Texas, and he said. You got to know you're my source on all this stuff. Yeah, <laughs> which on the one hand is super flattering, but on the other hand is is um, scary. Is a little bit scary, yeah. And so that's the reason why I brought um, I brought thoughtful Patrick and, and Guru Michelle on here with me today to talk about all of this. And so we actually had like three or four things we were additionally going to talk about, but since we are literally at sixty seven minutes at this point, we are done. We're done, y'all. So, so Alberto Salazar just took our whole thing. So, final thoughts? Yeah, so let's, let's each kind of offer our final thoughts okay, here. cool. One of them, the biggest one for me, as I said, when I read the report in 2015, especially Magnus's words, especially in the report, I was like, okay, this something's going on here. There's smoke, there's fire. This is feeling pretty su- suspicious. To me, my biggest takeaway, or my kind of my first thought when I read this story was, thank God this is finally coming to fruition, or like, the whistleblowers are being proven correct because for years a lot of the whistleblowers have taken a lot of that's true i don't know if i should call it abuse oh, but yeah. a lot of harassment online absolutely at races uh, i mean it has been i mean it, it, it certainly is the whistleblowers never get treated properly i mean that's that's a huge problem in in, in any industry and i would say there's say, been a lot you know, of in the intelligence community and that sort of thing i would say a lot of people who were runners who were coaches in the in the community who did blow the whistle and try to say hey guys there's some shady going on here they then kind of got um, blasted for years and, and almost like like in public and what i mean by that is like Absolutely. they wouldn't even start the fight and then someone else would bring the fight to them yeah um, and so my first takeaway was I sure hope the people who kind of blew the whistle on this get to breathe a sigh of relief or not kind of have to look over their shoulder quite so much anymore yeah. and feel a sense of validation. Kara Goucher in particular. Yes. Yeah. Along the same lines as Patrick, uh, you know, my biggest takeaway when, when this dropped was vindication, especially for her. Um, everybody is waiting on Kara to make a statement, and she's made it really clear on her social media that she was going to wait until the World Championships in Doha were over um, just to focus on you know the competition that's currently in process and let those athletes have their moment and then she would have something to say but personally uh, you know just I was in the trials in LA you can find a YouTube video of her interview after and you can see how emotional she is when uh, they ask her if the USADA you know investigation had taken a toll on her training and her life and this is 2016 
Um, and she was very emotional about it. And she got a lot of slack for that. I mean, crazy, horrible, you know, comments and stuff. I've been in smaller, more intimate environments with her through the past couple of years, whether it was another uh, Wazelle program or running camp. And you can really see the toll that being a whistleblower takes on the whistleblower's entire life, right. not only their, you know, professional running career. So vindication sure. is, I mean, that's the, that's the best part of it is everyone can look back and nobody can point their fingers at Steve Magnus or Kara Goucher anymore and, you know, blame them um, or tell them that they were lying or whatever <laughs> so right on right on um for me i think it's i'm, I'm just, it's the last thing we talked about here um is that it's just kind of not really over yet um because I, I he he is talking about how he's going to appeal it um salazar is nike is still behind him mark parker is still the ceo um so far as we know as of this recording um and and so it's it's i i don't think it's quite played out yet um i don't think it's quite done um, we don't know whether the athletes are going to suffer some sort of repercussions. Um, and, and frankly, I haven't quite figured out whether I'm going to buy <laughs> Nike anymore. <laughs> so lots of things still yet to be determined, both on a personal level and a much larger level as well. So that, that's kind of where I am now, too. So, All right, Patrick and Michelle, thank you for coming with us here and talking to us about all things Nike, Alberta Salazar, L-Carnitine, Testosterone, Steve Magnus, Kara Goucher, Galen Rupp, Jordan Hesse. Shannon Roberry, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We'll see you next time on the Most Pleasant is Austin podcast. That'll do it for another edition of the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast brought to you by ITO Coaching Performance, by Blue Pineapple Travel, and by SlayRx. If you want to reach out to me, you can always find me, George, at itocoaching.com. If you want to reach out to Patrick, it's Patrick at itocoaching.com. Or you can send us a podcast email at pleasantpodcast at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at Pleasant Podcast, and we're on Facebook, facebook.com slash pleasantpodcast. If you want to find ITO Coaching and Performance, they're at itocoaching.com, on Twitter at itocoaching, and on Facebook, facebook.com slash itocoaching and performance. If you want to find Blue Pineapple Travel for all your travel needs, facebook.com slash bluepineappletravel, bluepineappletravel.com, and instagram.com slash bluepineappletravel. See all the incredible places where folks are traveling thanks to Blue Pineapple Travel. And, of course, our newest sponsor, SlayRx. You can find them at SlayRx.com, at Facebook.com slash SlayRx, or on Instagram at Instagram.com, here for, the number four, here for SlayRx. Don't forget the discount code as well, Pleasant2019. That'll get you 10% off anything at their website. On behalf of Patrick Ollinger, this is George Darden. Thanks again for joining us on the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. See you next time.